Hello and welcome to this week's Intelligence Espresso from the Security Distillery. Every week we aim to distill world affairs in the field of security and intelligence to a bite-sized and hopefully entertaining morning briefing. This is John Boyle coming to you from the foothills of the Dolomites in Trento, Italy. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the recent arrest of 21-year-old Jack Textera under the Espionage Act in the United States, as well as the recent escalation of tensions on the Korean Peninsula. But first, Before leaving Washington to come to Ireland to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, Joe Biden stated that it was his intention to protect the peace and make sure that the Irish Accords and the Windsor Framework stay in place. Indeed, since Brexit, the most iconic and culture-defining treaty of the island, which had been brokered by the US in 1998, has found itself in something of a limbo. The power-sharing executive, the jewel in the crown of the agreement, has not consistently sat at Stormont since 2017, and failing to form most recently following the elections in 2022, which saw Sinn Féin gain a majority in the state for the first time. The issues emerging from Brexit surrounding the British border in Ireland has meant that there has been little in the way of common ground for both sides to resume business as usual in post-truce Northern Ireland. Indeed, quite the contrary. There's been a marked coarsening of rhetoric on both islands, and an advent of an all-familiar zero-sum thinking, which characterised the region in the latter half of the century, culminating in violent protests and the infamous murder of journalist Lyra McKee. With much riding on this visit, Mr Biden, the famously gaff-prone president, who has historically not been secretive about where his sympathies lie in Anglo-Irish relations, had had to, as one commentator put it, simply not put his foot in it in order to achieve his aims of the trip. For Mr. Biden, however, whose Catholic Irish emigre identity has been baked into his political and personal identity, these fairly simple aims for another less green president became something of a diplomatic tightrope. For some context, he is a hibernophile to the extreme. Biden quotes Seamus Heaney and Yeats ad nauseum. Indeed, he spoke of having his stutter cured by learning and reciting Irish poets. He used the example of British rule in Ireland as a bridge to empathise with persecuted minorities. He told a press gaggle on St. Patrick's Day in 2015, if you're wearing orange, you're not welcome in, and orange being the designatory colour of the Protestant community in Northern Ireland. Upon being elected and being asked for a comment from a BBC reporter, he retorted, the BBC, I'm Irish. In a more cartoonish example, his mother, from whom he has derived his Irish lineage, is reported to have slept on the floor on one occasion so as not to sleep in the same bed that the Queen of England has slept in. With the right-wing press in the UK and others on tender hooks for a gaff or grimace-inducing statement betraying his bias, the visit went off without much of a hitch. In Belfast, the President spoke of a recommitment to the promise of peace that exemplified the Good Friday Agreement, as well as the historic and socio-cultural links between the island and the United States. A notable exception to those in attendance, however, was the British Prime Minister, who was said to take an umbrage to the President not stopping by when he was in the neighbourhood. In the Republic of Ireland, the tenor of his speeches leaned more militaristic. The Irish people's historic role in fighting wars for the United States was a key motif in his speeches, 
The heavy-handed message behind this, of course, is the question of Ireland's nationalist shibboleth of neutrality, which has, since the invasion of Ukraine last year, become under more and more scrutiny. Following this visit from Ireland's closest ally and with the war in Ukraine ongoing, open forums have been organised by the government to discuss the future of Ireland's foreign and security policy throughout the country this June. This summer is shaping up to be a particularly important one for the future of this non-belligerent power. April 13th, a 20-year-old Air National Guardsman, Jack Texera, suspect in the recent Pentagon leaks, has been charged on espionage acts and taken cuff by the FBI from the Air National Guard base in Massachusetts while still in his red shorts. Mr. Texera was a member of the 102nd Intelligence Wing. According to the Wing's website, its mission is to provide worldwide precision intelligence and command control. Texera had had top-secret clearance since 2021, as well as clearance for even more secure documents classified as sensitive compartmented access that relates to information obtained from intelligence sources, including the used methods or analytical processes. Most of the disclosed documents appear to come from two main sources, the CIA's Operations Center and the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon. Attorney General Merrick Garland confirmed Mr. Texera's arrest in connection with the, quote, investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. The disclosure of the purported highly classified documents, which is another word for intelligence leak, has stirred the Pentagon, as well as a big headache to some of Americans' closest allies. These documents have exposed not only dozens of images that labeled as highly classified documents on the war in Ukraine, but also some details and top secrets of U.S. surveillance of its adversaries and allies. That includes intercepted communications regarding intelligence sharing with South Korea and Israel, and the American penetration of Russian military plans. It raised concerns about those leaked details might undermine Kyiv's efforts fighting against the Russian invasion. President Zelensky, however, spoke on this, declaring that this would not affect Ukraine's preparation for the spring offensive. Interestingly enough, these documents classified as top secrets have been circulated online for almost one month before the FBI took action. Discord, a social media platform trafficking memes and jokes in Minecraft strategies, is who to blame. By January this year, actual media footage of the classified documents began to appear on the Discord chat rooms. According to the FBI, the user told their agents that the chat room was used to discuss geopolitical affairs and current and historical wars. And the FBI managed to identify Texera by tracking through the billing information from the Discord platform, which led them to his name and address in Massachusetts. As of April the 5th, it seems that the US government was still unaware while a Russian Telegram account shared a crudely altered version of one of those documents, along with some unmodified ones. It has been a while since Edward Snowden disclosed that vast collection of top secrets. And a decade after the leak from a contractor for the National Security Agency to this guardsman of the Air National Guard, the US government seems still struggling with preventing such security breaches. Brett Bruin, president of a national security consulting firm and a former White House official, commented with somewhat indignation. Quote, this kind of large-scale security breaches were supposed to be a thing of the past. New controls and checks were put in place, yet clearly it wasn't enough and we need a major rethink and revision to the classified protection process. 
As disclassified documents widely shared among military intelligence personnel, the unauthorized disclosure highlights the challenge of safeguarding sensitive government information. President Biden, when asked for an update on the leak investigation during his trip to Dublin, said he was concerned that the leak happened, but there's nothing contemporaneous that he's aware of that is of great consequence. On Saturday, the 16th of April, a North Korean ship crossed the Northern Limit Line, which is the de facto sea border between North and South Korea. The North Koreans were pursuing a Chinese fishing boat near South Korea's Bingyong Island, but turned back after a South Korean high-speed boat sent broadcast warnings and fired warning shots. The NLL was drawn up by the UN after the Korean War in 1953 and has been disputed by Pyongyang since the 1990s, as they argue that the boundary should lie further south. This incident is not the first time that warning shots have been fired between the two Koreas. In October, they both accused each other of breaching the NLL, and this recent border breach is just another episode in the region's escalating tensions. This incident follows North Korea's test launch of a new solid-fuel intercontinental ballistic missile called the Hwasong-18 on the 14th of April. Van Diepen, a former US government weapons expert, claims that the missile will enable Pyongyang to deploy its missiles much faster in the event of a war, as solids are easier and safer for troops to operate in the field and have a much smaller logistical train, making them harder to detect. Kim Jong-un, who guided the test of the Hwasong-18, claims that this missile will make enemies experience a clearer security crisis and will constantly strike extreme uneasiness and horror into them by taking fatal and offensive counteractions until they abandon their senseless thinking and reckless acts. South Korea, in return, has called the test a grave provocation. The launch caused international fear and triggered the Japanese government to issue an evacuation order on Hokkaido Island before the missile landed in the sea. Due to the escalating military operations in North Korea, the South has also been developing their military program. Since Monday, the US and South Korea have been carrying out joint drills in the Korean Peninsula. The events that have taken place over the past few days may just be chalked up to further acts of aggression from North Korea. However, these incidents are deeply worrying. We will discover more about what lies ahead for the region after South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol's visit to Japan this coming Thursday. However, Regardless of the meeting's outcome, concerns about security and stability in the region are rising, and with North Korea showing no signs of slowing down their military operations, peace in the region becomes ever more tenuous. Last week, the Security Distillery published its latest analysis on developing geopolitical and security dynamics, this time covering South Korea's nuclear ambitions in the face of North Korean aggression. I spoke with that article's author, Yin Yin, on our latest article, Where South Korea Stands Today, From Soft Power Success Story to Nuclear Ambition. Yin Yin, welcome to the Intelligence Espresso. You produced this analysis in response to statements from earlier this year made by South Korean President Yoon that his government would consider developing nuclear weapons or requesting the USA redeploy them. The US had an arsenal based in the Korean Peninsula, but withdrew them in 1991 at the end of the Cold War. What prompted this declaration by Yoon, and is it more rhetorical, or has the government begun developing a nuclear strategy? Uh, thank you, Chris, for inviting to uh, Intelligent Espresso. Uh, first of all, to uh, answer your question, 
uh, that I, I would like to highlight a bit that there has been a lot of public debate uh, about like um, I mean like nuclear armament in the country, but this time is a bit different because the actor or the agent who brought this topic to the stage is the president, <laughs> president of the South Korea. And also there's a, a number of public figure from his party, Conservative Party, also known as PPP. Uh, they brought that topic into the stage. And the debate is more heated beyond the government and the political cycle, because I, it's the, uh, the debate goes beyond with the uh, analysis as well. So it's like a you know, multi-track debate, I would say. So like basically track one and track two debate is going on in uh, South Korea. So like uh, strategically, North Korea, uh, nuclear South Korea's nuclear ambition is um, to uh, defense from new North Korea's threat, but it's also controversial for South Korea's strategic culture because like um, they question is also a shift from their strategic culture as well. Understood. Interesting. So given the existential threat on their border, how has South Korean strategic culture really developed and what approach has the current president taken? Um, like uh, I would say that um, South Korea's strategic culture is based on like uh, retaining prosperity and strength, but that is, you know, very broad topic to say that. And the second pillar is like countering North Korea existential threat. So so with the current debate, it is totally understand like totally agreeable that South Korea might want to get the nuclear like nuclear strategy. But then the another pillar in the uh, South Korea strategic culture is maintaining a strong alliance with the U.S. But you know, uh, U.S. Um, how can I say like U.S. Uh, policy in Korean Peninsula is total denuclearization. But South Korea, like there is a nuclear thing in North Korea already, and now it's South Korea again. It's like you know a total shift. So, given that South Korea has become a a soft power powerhouse with Korean pop culture influencing audiences globally, would they be at risk? Uh, would this soft power be at risk if it were to become a nuclearized country? Um, and does that really matter in the calculus of the current president? Um, this is a good question, actually. It's like, uh, I would say at this moment, there will be no harm to soft power because soft power there is not directly related to the government because soft power has a lot of actors involving in accumulating and also attaining also, you know, uh, attributing. So it's a bit different. Uh, I mean, I would say a bit different on this matter. But the thing is, uh, we need to consider about the um like the expanding of south korea's um military in like defense industry sector because like it's also uh nowadays south korea say we want to go for um we want to go for adopt nuclear strategy because we also have this kind of uh, militarization or like military development in the country especially in research and the development in defense industry sector we also need to consider about that as well so you mentioned that the U.S. policy is complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. So how do they feel about this declaration made by President Yoon? Um, 
you, uh, you mean the president of the South Korea? Yes. I mean, the response from South Korea. Um, it's, I would say like uh, it's been uh, a long time that South, not only the South Korea, but also the alliance in the Asia Pacific, uh, the US alliance in, in Asia Pacific started questioning about the extended deterrence in the region. Extended deterrence is, you know, a commitment to fully protect US alliance. By uh, US aligned. So it's like um, they started questioning because US has a lot, uh, not a lot, there's more than enough on their plate already in the global affair. So, and based on uh, the Ukraine event and also the other advantages like China uh, assertiveness in the region, they started worry about what if uh, this kind of nuclear war or this kind of attack happened in the region or in the peninsula? How could US, uh, how can US? Uh, respond to that kind of thing like they can make immediate response or will it be time or they also question about u.s capability as well and what about china how do they feel about the prospect of a nuclearized south korea if uh china would not like that i would say of course, <laughs> for, right. uh, obviously because uh as we all know china is the biggest alliance for north korea and also uh they are like, in it, how can I say they initiate? No, not sorry, not initiating. They are like um, providing assistance in developing a nuclear uh, plan and program in North Korea since in since the past fifty years. So like, and also uh, China has a worry about U.S. existence in the region since from the since from the start, like since the Korean War. And what about Japan? Technically, South Korea's ally against North Korean aggression, but there's a lot of historic tensions between the two countries. How would they feel about a nuclearized South Korea? Yeah, I would say that's uh, my um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So <laughs> right. yeah, that's very obvious. And recently, there is we can see that there is a growing uh, collaboration and cooperation, like kind of agreement. But uh, not only bilateral, but also the tripartite agreement with the U.S. in their defense collaboration. Excellent. Well, again, the name of the article that Nian Yan has published is Where South Korea Stands Today, From Soft Power Success Story to Nuclear Ambition. You can read her article right now on the Security Distillery website. And please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Security Distillery. Nian Yan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Chris.